up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Live Free Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mike Maxwell. Today's guest is Mr. Ed Templeton. He is a professional skateboarder, uh, owner of Toy Machine Skateboard Company. He is an artist and photographer whose work that I've been following for a long time. Um, I was lucky enough to have him uh, do a call-in interview. We talk mode art, white trash, street cred, Finding skateboarding, the mean streets of suburbia, rebellion, art appreciation, gallery work, Thomas Campbell, Aaron Rose, criticism, voyeurs in one's own own life, memories, Instagrams, broken bones, memory foam, and photographing strangers. So, as always, make sure you go check out MikeMaxwellArt.com. You can click on the podcast link and get all the information over there. Um, you can subscribe and download and rate and review in iTunes. For some reason, I'm hoping when I upload this that the uh, the Live Free podcast icon, the the image will show up. For some reason, it's been down. I've changed the coding a, a million times and nothing's changed. So hopefully that will be working. Um, it's kind of it's hard to search if you can't see an image. Somehow the image makes it much easier to see if it's not the like generic icon. So. Uh, hopefully that'll go up as, with this image and this will be a, an obsolete rant. Um, you can donate to the podcast through the blog, uh, download, blah, 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 blah. Uh, if uh, you want to check out some of my work, you can go to MikeMaxwellArt.BigCartel.com, purchase things and enjoy them. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado... Mr. Ed Templeton. Alright, let's give Ed a call here. It's Mike Maxwell. Hi, how are you? I'm good, man. How are you? Not too bad. Good. Um, I already started the recording, but if uh, if you have any questions or, or anything that you need me to, to edit off or whatever, we're, uh, we're good. Okay. Um, well, thank you for taking the time to, to sit down and shoot the shit with me, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem at all. Um, you and I, I don't know if you know, you and I, we've met a couple times, I think, throughout the years. Uh we painted the uh, switch foot, or what was it? It was um, like goofy versus regular. There, there was a, a mural that was painted at some uh, some competition. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, I remember that. Was it in San Diego or? It was in, it was in Orange County somewhere. Maybe like Irvine or something. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Um, okay. But I've been following your work for a long time. I think it's funny uh, that that mural had something to do with keep abreast. I know Shaney Joe had set that up on, on some level. And okay, it, yeah. I think you were doing, like, a really good job, and I came in there and did some really bad, something really bad. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I've been, I've been following your work for a long time. I think the first time I saw stuff in person was also at... Um, 
uh, one of those ASR shows that Shaney and uh, Keep Abreast and Mo- it was a Modart show. Yeah, Modart a long time ago. Yeah, Mona. yeah. I, I feel like Mona in forever. Yeah, I know. I haven't seen her in, in in a long time. She was here in San Diego for a while, and I guess moved to Germany or or somewhere overseas, maybe. Yeah, that's the last I heard. I think. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know where she is or anything. Maybe Shani knows. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a very interesting time for me. Like uh, coming up and seeing like the the group of 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 artists that I had been following through some of the the action sports. Like come together. I, I think for me, it was the first time seeing some of that stuff. Do you do you remember that sort of time period, like ninety nine, ninety eight? Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, that was like some of. I mean, I had been exhibiting um, already in some gallery situations, but those, you know, I think I was still in like a a free roaming sort of state where you know any show anywhere it was kind of like let's do it you know like and those yeah those motor things were fun like during the trade show and yeah I remember hanging photos I mean it was kind of like just chaos like bring bring a bunch of stuff and hang whatever you know it's like yeah I remember bringing photos and drawings and just kind of putting them up in some helter skelter way on the wall San Diego was a, a, a strange there, that was a cool little time period for San Diego in particular that uh, I, it seems like yeah, I always I always bring up it, like post nine eleven or pre nine eleven. It seemed like there was some sort of societal shift that happened there, like almost like it seemed like it kind of hurt creativity a little bit. That's interesting. I remember the music scene was was super awesome too. There was like San Diego scene was really I don't know what I wasn't down there, but it, weren't, weren't people kind of equating it to Seattle and stuff with the fluff and. You know, Rocket from the Crypt and all those bands were like really kind of active and doing Drive Like Jehu and stuff like that. Yeah, a lot of times it feels like it ends up being sort of like a bouncing off place, you know, for a lot of people. Like it's like a starting board, you know? Yeah. Um, and they moved to the big city. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> so you, you grew up in, the, in, in Southern California in the Orange County area, right? Yeah, basically my whole life... Uh, I was born in Anaheim, not far from Disneyland. Was where we lived when I was a real, real little kid, and then, uh, and then I think my father moved us to Corona, to a trailer park. So I have official uh, white trash cred, street <laughs> cred, because I technically lived in a trailer for a while out in Corona. And and that's sort of that's east, yeah. That's that's east of what you know. If somebody stereotypically would think of the uh, Orange County area, or like you oh know, yeah, east of the coast, Inland Empire, basically. Growing up there your whole life and still being around there, have you seen like a strange evolution take place? Have you noticed like shifts in the in the way things go around there? Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, well, after 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 Corona, we. There was a divorce situation, and uh, and we that's when we that's when I hit Huntington Beach because my grandparents lived in Huntington Beach, and so we moved in with them for a year to to get our little family back on our feet, and then moved into an apartment, and that's kind of like you know, fifth grade I was in a Christian some Christian school here in Huntington. 
And by sixth grade, which I think was 85, 86-ish for me, was when I found skating. And that's kind of when I feel like, I don't know, I feel like I wasn't really even a human until then. I was just like a kid floating around doing whatever kids do. And then skateboarding, seeing some kids skate down the street and wanting to do that was like the, the end to having a life of some type and yeah. find, you know, yeah, finding music and people and just connecting with actually something, something tangible, something real. And, uh, yeah, there's been a huge change. I mean, especially in Huntington Beach here, it's kind of interesting and I'm sure it's similar in a lot of beach communities along Southern California, but I mean, it was when I was young and it was, the main street was kind of surf shops and one story, you know, a couple bars, and I don't, even, I don't want to call it mean streets because it's like so clearly suburbia. It's not yeah. really, but it was it was grittier. There was a you know more of a beach culture grit, like where it was surfers and skaters to a smaller extent, but you know lots of fights and skinheads and just weird sort of I don't know. It feels a lot rougher now, and and it's been gentrified that whole scene's been gentrified out because it's all been built up and there's micro breweries and restaurants and Jamba Juices and Starbucks and um, you know I think if you go down there on the weekend nights after 10 you'll probably see the same amount of fights as you might have always seen but uh, but yeah for the most part it's a lot nicer and cleaner and people friendlier do you uh did you see at that young age when you when you became attracted to skateboarding? Did did you see it as a sort of act of rebellion? Maybe even just looking back at it now, maybe not at the time, but like I recognize in there's certain acts that people do to maybe sometimes to rebel against their parents or like a, you know against structure or to even sometimes like find your own structure in life you know like and I think art is kind of one of those things too like for me like I think I gravitated toward toward making things uh as a way to find some sort of structure did uh did you experience any of those sorts of things or are able to like look back on it and see how that sort of played out yeah truthfully I, I don't feel like my engagement with skateboarding came from a rebellious uh thing or even felt like that although the people that I engaged with it in, in from the, right from the beginning were were in that kind of zone in that you know middle school you know what's what's pretty yeah so you know like 14 15 16 year old rebellious days like you know so like the kids that I first started hanging out with were punkers that you know were full on like wake up and spike your mohawk and come to school kind of thing. And I was never that in any way. It was kind of, you know, that, so I feel like I maybe vicariously it was rebellion because I felt like hanging out with these kids was rebellious in itself. Yeah. But I never, I never really engaged in the whole looking punk or, you know, I had started listening to punk tapes and I certainly felt punk, but I, I don't know, I never really got into the whole image part of it. And so my home life was really normal. And so skateboarding affected my schoolwork, of course, because all I cared about was skating. 
But I don't know if I ever engaged it with like a, you know, check this out, mom, I'm going to skateboard and you're going to be bummed. You know I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. like, it didn't feel like rebellion. It was actually the, in a way, the opposite of it. I was, I felt so in love with actual skateboarding that, you know, the punk and the, and the let's do drugs and all that stuff was not even part of it. It was only skateboarding. So I was breaking my curfew. I mean, I think my, my, my mom would probably see it as being rebellious, but I, ne- I never saw it that way, you know? Because yeah. when I would break my curfew and get in trouble, it was more like, I, you know, the parents worry because, okay, you're staying out. What is my kid doing? They're probably out doing drugs or something. But for me, it was like completely the opposite. I was like, yeah, I broke the curfew, but I was just skating. <laughs> I was just like trying kickflips downstairs all night, you know? Like, yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think I ever saw it as rebellious. So, uh, would you say that that you started skateboarding before before art became an interest for you? That that was your 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 focus. Yeah, you could say that. I mean, I, I think like any kid, I I drew and sure. I, I like drawing, and my my grandparents were my father, were my and my my grandparents were essentially my father figures, or my my parental sort of authority because my mother that's this is a long long story but you know my mother had some slight brain damage when she was a little baby which kept her keeps her at sort of a maybe an 18 year old level mm-hmm. she's she's fine she's able to raise two kids and do everything but she's simple in some ways like she can't really and so the idea of controlling a teenage kid she couldn't handle it. So the only like real authority in my life was my grandfather. He's the one who punished me and did that kind of stuff and tried to, you know, make me do good in school and all that stuff was, was sort of his responsibility. Um, I, I lost my train of thought now. Well, did, did you accept that sort of, uh, responsibility role change? Was that, was that an easy acceptance for you? Cause I could see how, like, again, I'm not trying to, say that you that you were rebellious but like i could see for people that i know even who are put into those positions sometimes there's some some backlash well there was there was definitely backlash from my grandparents um against skateboarding but purely on an academic level like they just saw it as you know he cares about this thing so much that it's hurting his schooling and so it, it became the it became the thing, you know, it's like, if you don't do this, we're taking your skateboard, you know, that kind of stuff. I feel yeah. like a lot of kids from my generation had the same sort of thing, you know, coming from a broken home and having all that. Can you hear that noise in the background? No, I don't hear anything. Okay, good. Hopefully we're good. Of, co- the, of course, the day that uh, we decide to, to record, they're chopping down every tree in the neighborhood, it seems like. Yeah, we have landscape stuff going on right now too, but hopefully, luckily, it's the the uh, chainsawing's over. Well, so do you remember a point where where art seemed to become a, a focus for you? It was there. Uh, that's, that's what that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Sorry. So, um, so yeah, I was I went to uh, I was basically trying to explain how my grandparents were a big part of my life as far as parental figures. So. You know, like I said, I, I, as a kid, I drew and stuff like that. I was, and I think through my grandmother and grandfather, they were 
interested in art. And so they took us to museums and stuff. So I guess from a, before I started skating, I definitely had the idea of appreciating paintings and stuff like that. Where I feel like a lot of kids don't get that sort of, ever really that kind of like exposure to culture in a way. What was the, what were the type of things that your grandparents liked to show you? Do you remember? Well, we would go to like the Norton Simon Museum every once in a while, you know, as well as like the kid, you know, sort of like kid, you know, like the, the La Brea Tar Pits and stuff like that. That would be more fun for kids. But we would go, they took me on a trip to Washington, D.C. when I was young and we went and looked at all the Smithsonian museums, the, the art and the air and space and all that stuff. And so I don't know, I think I had a little bit of a, an idea that people uh, consider paintings and look at them and, you know, watching adults as a young as a young child engage with a painting and look at it and discuss it is kind of something that I, maybe not a lot of kids get. So I feel like I had at least the idea that, you know, people make art and other people appreciate it. Just that, like, basic concept in me. But skateboarding came first, yeah. Um, but, but soon after, I mean, I started skating in... 85, and by 1990, I turned pro for skating, but also that year I started painting. So, you know, within five years from starting skating, I was, um, you know, I don't know what the word is, but, you know, like wanted, had desires to be an artist, I guess. And were you thinking already, like, that you wanted to get stuff into galleries, you know, like, let's say, starting in, in 1990? You know, I would assume for I think for a lot of people like skateboard graphics, T-shirts and maybe as far back as like album cover art has a tendency to lead people. Maybe like teenagers shows them this ability that, hey, you might be able to make something and make a living at it some way. Um, But I don't think that that view is taken by a lot of people when we're thinking about like the fine art aspects of it. Did did you have fine art? And I use that term loosely just as a descriptive, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, like I, ambition. I, I think, um, I think, yeah, to an extent. I mean, it's, uh, you know, okay, 1990, I started painting. Probably before that, I was, I had been interested in, in you know, I started kind of like buying art books around that same time, probably in, in 89. And, you know, reading, so I was reading about Egon Schiele and reading, you know, so I, the whole idea of, like, galleries and collectors and stuff was definitely in my head. And then, you know, went to Europe for skateboarding, for some skateboarding contests in 90, and that whole experience really opened my eyes to art, the way Europeans sort of engage with art. I mean, that, this is all coming from the suburbs, you know, not really seeing much outside of some trips to the museum, but to go to, to Paris and see the, the architecture and the sculptures in the streets and then to visit some museums. This is all because, you know, the people I was with were just like the regular dudes on New Deal who would go to the bar and drink. And so I wasn't kind of, I didn't want to be part of that world. So I spent all this ex-free time that I wasn't skating going to museums. And that, I came back from that trip like, you know, 18 years old, semi-naive and a, you know, just totally inspired. Like, I'm going to become a painter. Grand, grand, uh, grand gestures. Like, I'm going <laughs> to do this. And I literally came home and just bought canvases right away and started trying to paint. That's and, good. Uh, a lot of people, I, I guess probably a lot of people don't get that opportunity. And that's something that's got to be somewhat overwhelming at that young age. 
was amazing. Like, the, the whole first trip to Europe was just eye-opening on so many levels, like, on how different societies work and just, like, noticing all the differences. Europe was still sort of separated by country and by, by money still at that point. So, you know, it was, like, real fun and different. And, but, um, yeah, I, there, I think there was definitely the idea that it'd be cool. It was, it was, I don't know if it was, like, an aspiration as much as one of those things that you think about, like, oh, how great would that be if someone liked my art? But at the same time, I knew I was terrible. I wasn't, like, uh, delusional. I was, like, thinking that what I was doing was any good. And so, you know, I went years where I just painted because I really loved it and didn't really have this, like, desire to, like, go anywhere with it. And it was really through an encounter with Thomas Campbell, um, who was shooting, you know, came to shoot me for some skateboard uh, pro spotlight in Transworld. He came to my house, and he was a painter, and I, you know, what Hurt knew about him, and, um, but he came to my house and saw that I had this closet just filled with paintings. They were all stacked up in there. And it was, he's the person who really opened my eyes to the whole, even like the, the seed of like, let's, maybe this is possible, kind of, you know, that mm-hmm. idea. Because up until then, it wasn't, like I, I guess I'm trying to explain, I knew about that world. I don't think I really had aspirations to it until until Thomas's conversations. And his whole thing was like, you know, art is to be shared. Why are you putting this stuff in the closet? That's like the worst state for a painting ever to like leave it just hidden away. It's like, you know, give these to your friends, hang it up. And and then he started explaining how like, you know, someone, someone will see it if you give it to a friend and, you know, that friend has people over and they see it. And that's how like the idea spreads. That's how you share your art and get it out there. And, I don't know. I just never really thought of it in that in those terms. And then, and he and he said, you know, you should send some stuff to this guy in New York who does a gallery who shows people who are you know skateboarders who do art. It'd probably be perfect for you. And that was that was the alleged gallery with Aaron Rose. And I sent him some stuff, probably in '93. So I've been painting for three years and just kind of like doing it just for the just for the fun of it for the sake of painting right which is the perfect way to go about it to start right yeah i think so and, uh, i hope so i don't know and then um yeah so i sent stuff to aaron and you know he's just running this like hole in the wall place he didn't have any money but that's where the whole uh having the pro skateboarder salary kind of came into the whole thing a lot of kids asked me like how do you get shows like it's just one step from from point A to point B. Yeah, right. And I just like I tell them I did spent ten years of my life funding every aspect of every show I was in. You know, it's like and so, yeah. So, so that started with Aaron Rose. He said, "Sure, I'll give you a show, but I don't have any money to ship anything. I don't, you know, there's no money." And I was like, oh, "I'll drive everything out there." And he's like, "Okay, you got a show then." So you know, my my first solo show. I don't know. You know, it's like as cool as it was and. On paper, it sounds great. In reality, it was like, I don't even know if he really liked my art. It was more like, oh, this guy will do the whole show himself. <laughs> Here you go. Here's the space, you know? So, but you guys ended up working together for years after that, right? Yeah, and then, you know, like, 
he sort of, as he grew as a gallery and the people he showed, uh, yeah, everything grew and I stayed friends, you know, friends with him and in contact with him and he moved from the hole in the wall place to sort of a nicer place and then even to a nicer place all, all in New York. And, uh, I was just lucky to be part of a bunch of different shows that happened there and have a few solo shows there with him. And I, you know, I think I really like changed a lot over the, over that time period. I mean, my first show, I think it was 60, 62, 67 paintings in it. Mm -hmm. I was like real prolific. I was painting so quick and I would just like, you know, take a Sharpie to a piece of wood or, or canvas and just draw something on it and then kind of paint it after the fact. And I just had, you know, and like a lot of criticism. It was real interesting. People came and just <clears throat> talk shit openly which was like, as much as it's like exasperating, it was kind of constructive too. Yeah. Like learning, learning stuff where people would walk in and go like, this guy's in there, you go shoot it. And it's just like, fuck, like they're right though. I kind of really was influenced by, by the, like the, that guy's work. So, and it came through and it was like definitely a learning experience on like, okay, how do you like absorb this, your influences without uh, copying? Right. And, you know, this this topic comes up a lot about, like, the idea of being self-taught, but you still kind of have to learn from something or someone around you or something around you. Yeah, and in that, in that way, for painting, I've, everything's been trial and error, just, you know, look, looking at a lot of art in museums, looking at books, you know, gleaning from those observations, how things might be done, but never really being taught. And then, uh, and for photography, I was real lucky to have, you know, as a skateboarder who was being documented all the time, I was surrounded by photographers. Thomas was one of them, and Toby Allen, and Mickey Vukovich, and all these guys that worked for Transworld, and Power Edge, and Christian Klein from Power Edge. I mean, I was like friends with all these guys going out skating all the time, and so I had like, fingertip teachers right there right at, right at my disposal anytime I had a question about f-stops and apertures which now are just second nature to me but at the time when you're learning them they seem real they're hard to like get a grasp on yeah it could be daunting trying to figure all that shit out was that was yeah. so was was making photography a part of the that early art show too with with all the paintings or did that come did that come after that that the, my my first uh solo show in 94 was all painting except for I did have a bunch of Polaroids I think I had a Polaroid camera that I was carrying around and I put I did exhibit some uh, there was like a doorway in this place and we just kind of wallpapered the whole door with Polaroids and that ended up being the most controversial part of the show because there was like a couple Polaroids of, of my dick that I put in there just for fun <laughs> but then all the New York skaters were sort of homophobic and didn't really like that. Yeah. And so there was a lot of like, this Templeton dude's a fag, what the fuck? What's this <laughs> dick shit? You know, like, I don't know. I mean, that all went away in a few years, but those early years, I mean, I think it was like Harold Hunter and those guys were just like, fuck this guy. So did you did you recognize that risk? Like, was the like the controversy interesting for you where, you know, we might see somebody who thinks people are talking shit may like run away from 
an aspect like that? Do, did you find, like, an encouragement or? No, I've always kind of, I mean, it's, I go both ways. I mean, I think internally criticism is hard to deal with. Yeah. But then um, I put on a good face as far as, like, and especially if someone's willing to, like, talk to you about it, frankly. Yeah. Which at that show was, you know, I like I like it, you know. In that in that case, when it's like a direct competition, I just go straight into like professor mode and be like, "Why do you hate it? Let me tell me why you don't like it." You know, it's like cause I, then I start wanting to find out. It's almost like a, I feel like an investigator. Like, let me get to the root of why you hate this. <laughs> you seem like a guy who kind of can let who can let the ego go. It seems like there there has to be a certain sense of of self to be even able to take the constructive criticism, you know, like even people who are like, who go through a typical art school system, it's tough for a lot of people to sit down and get, get criticized day in and day out. Do you? For sure. I mean, I definitely have a healthy ego, but I, I think of hopefully, yeah, it's like, I think there's like a private ego and then a public ego. Yeah, I definitely yeah. try to keep the public on that check because yeah, I mean, it's tough. it could be tough. And, I like, the last thing I want to do is seem ungrateful or, or yeah, like, kind of self-absorbed in the position I'm in because I know, you know, whatever, like, a lot of kids know me from skateboarding and, and I, you know, it's like, yeah, I've been around forever, so I get a lot of kids coming up to me, like, and they're all stoked, and I just, I always try to humble myself in that situation and remember what I would have liked if I was a kid and be thrown up to a pro, you know, and, and treat them the same way. And, and like, in that in that way, yeah, I guess I've been fortunate to just be able to, like, sort of check the ego out. Yeah, that's a, and it seems like for people who are involved in, in things that are, you know, singular, like not team sports or, you know, not a team thing, like, it, it becomes a difficult issue for a lot of people to, to get over some of those humps. Yeah, I mean, I, I well, think my grandfather instilled that whole thing in me of just seeing everything from the outside. And that's maybe part of the photography aspect of my life is I feel like I'm just, uh, I've always felt like a voyeur to even my own life. You know, that, it's funny Especially you say that. Especially the I'm living with the skateboarders and stuff. I'm, I, it's like as much as I'm a part of it, I've always felt not part of it and sort of interested in it. As it's happening, I'm like, this is cool, and like stepping out of it and kind of see, putting it in context. As as somebody who's done that for for so long now, is it strange to see social media like in in how everybody has now sort of become the voyeur of their own life as well in in a much more mass productive way with with the ability to just share imagery direct and like a lot of times super personal stuff. That whole thing is fascinating. I mean, to, I mean, I definitely have been engaged with computers since, I guess, the beginning of uh, not the well, not the very beginning, but you know, since uh, since I started toy machine, I guess, and having to do things and like, uh, yeah, to see the internet change and change people's lives the way it is, it's been fascinating. And I've I have stayed for super long until relatively recently, maybe the last, like, year, two years. Um, you know, was, we were basically Luddites over here. I didn't have a cell phone even up until that was, like, one of the last holdouts. Yeah. <laughs> I think finally, I think finally seeing, like, Google Maps on the iPhone 
pushed me over the edge. I was like, man, that's, that's a good gadget. <laughs> I think it's like, so, I, you know, and still I don't really use it that much, you know. You're, I mean, I'm on my landline now at my house. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I know anybody who still has a home phone. Um, so, yeah, I mean, now I've dabbled in it and gone head over heels into it. I mean, I'm like crazy on Instagram right now. And like, I've got a Twitter now and it's like all this stuff that I, kind of saw as ridiculous um, I like started doing and kind of liking it yeah well that's what you I know, mean definitely you... one of those people who hated it like fuck Twitter fuck all that Facebook shit and like I think I think there's a funny correlation between like even like early like your your early books or stuff pre social media where you're sharing a lot of personal information like even the way that you you'll you'll write on a photograph to tell about like what it's happening it's not that much different than what's happening a few years later now with with you know people doing the same thing with their social media you know what no I mean? it's not and that's that's the one thing that's interesting is I feel like everybody the internet's just I don't know what you know it's been probably like overspoke about to the point where anything I say is not going to really add anything profound to it but you know it's like there's a democratization of kind of everything and every like the computer gives you your own broadcast so the whole idea of like even do it yourself back in the day was like okay no one's going to give me an art book so I'm going to make a zine and just give it to my friends and and I'm doing something now you know that took some back then it took someone kind of like the creativity and the, and the gumption to go out to Kinko's and maybe print photos or whatever to like actually get the content for that for that zine to be made whereas now of course everybody in their hand has a computer with a phone and all that stuff and so the zine is your blog and and everyone has their own broadcast their own channel yeah and it's like it's almost I see this sense of collectivity sort of you know the ebb and flow of collectivity you know it seemed like through the 90s and early 2000s like just like I, I used the the precursor, the 9-11 precursor, but like that sort of ebb and flow of creativity that that comes out of uh, collective mindsets sometimes, you know, as, as, a, as a group of people sort of uh, a building momentum. I feel like maybe it's, it's interesting how these things can sort of build the collective mind state. But I don't, I don't know, sometimes it could be for worse or it could be for good, I guess. I, I try to see it as I'm trying to approach it as sort of like a voice from where I'm standing. It's like, okay, I do have, you know, a, a small renown in a small, in a microcosm world, you know, I'm known, not not famous in it by any stretch, but, you know, within like the skateboard world, I'm, I'm known. So, you know, the idea of like building, you know, 50,000 followers on, on Instagram, to me, it, I just see it as like, okay, I'm sharing stuff. I'm a photographer. I have, and I have a company and I have like worlds of images that I deal with all the time. So I have, it's like, I have no shortage of stuff that I can throw on there. And all of it is, is like nothing I would use for an exhibition or, or, you know, it's like I, I, everything I put on there is kind of like, I'm knowing that this is public. I'm thinking about it that way. 
but it's also fun to share it. Like, okay, I have a old photos of Jamie Thomas, and I know like a million kids love Jamie Thomas and want to see these old photos from Welcome to Hell or whatever. You know, it's like that kind of stuff is fun. And then uh, as a side part of that, this is where the voice comes in. It's like I do have this voice. I can kind of like, okay, I have a show coming up. I can put a flyer up, and and bam, you know, potentially fifty thousand people know about this show. Yeah, and, exactly. And you know what's what's interesting too is I think sort of even with the way that you've you've been able to document your life through your art and photography, there becomes like an an added ability to remember different things. I don't know if, if you found this I mean, you could talk about it if you'd like. It like the ability to by just having a photo of a particular moment allows you to sort of remember a whole set of moments that maybe oh, for sure, yeah. maybe would just disappear if you didn't have the, the, the information? That's how it's always been for me, yeah. It's like a memory a memory jog, for sure. And I, yeah, I feel like, um, yeah, they're definitely like bookmarkers for, for memories. My brain doesn't really remember that well as it is, so the, the photos really help. Yeah, it's strange how it does that, and it feels like these little markers that we're making on the Internet somehow... Are gonna are they almost act like sort of um, like external hard drives for our memory to some extent? Yeah. Well, the one thing I've been noticing are like you know kind of like the uh, temporariness. Tempor- yeah, it's, everything's so temporary. I realize, like for instance, on Instagram, it's like okay, I have like fifteen hundred photos on there. Nobody. Nobody's looking back to the first one. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's so hard to get back there. Even on even on using the computer viewer of, of Instagram is like it, it would take so long to like go back to the first photo at this point. And so I realized like, you know, after three, four days, that's it. That stuff's gone and no one's thinking about it, no one's looking at it. Yeah. And so I should I was thinking like ideally I'd like to actually have like this month window and then after that I just go back and delete everything, you know? And I started thinking about that, especially with that whole Instagram thing that happened about, you know, they, you could, they could sell your photos for ads. Yeah. So I started thinking about, man, I just, what should I delete on here, you know? It's like, and then I, as I went through it, I was like, you know what, none of this stuff matters. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. most of the, you know, I, I deleted some stuff, like a few drawings and things that, you know, were like more personal or whatever, or, or more like something I might use in a show or something from my sketchbook. But most of it is just crap. That's the thing. It's like, it's just ethereal crap. It's just, and really, I truly see it as a time, I, I engage in it completely, but it's a time waste. Every single night I go to sleep, I review the day and think, what a fucking idiot. I, just, I spent two hours on Instagram. Like, really, I do that. And I, you know, it's, like, it's an addiction. It's like TV for me. And Instagram is one of those things where I don't feel proud about my time being spent on that. And yet, still, it's like so fun to like, see what other people are doing and then share something and get all these reactions right away. And yeah, what like, is uh, that guilt? It's a Pavlovian response to like needing attention almost. And I, I'm not, you know, again, it's like I have that in me. I need, I feel like I need that attention. There. It, That's why I'm so addicted to it. I love, I love getting a ton of likes on there and having sure. people react to like stuff. And it's, it's also like a, a fighter of boredom, you know, like if you have moments of just, quietness sometimes it feels like i think for a lot of people it feels like there's a need to to fill that silence 
For sure. I'm never bored, though. That's the thing. It's like, that's why I see it as a time waste, because I have a trillion things to do. I run a company. (laughs) I have exhibitions coming up. It's like, you know, I have a note on my door. I'm looking at it right now. And uh, I printed it out and taped it to my door. And I still don't, you know, if there's wires crossed, which is my book project that I want to do, I should be working on painting, toy machine. I have these lists of things, you know. These are the priorities I should have in my life, you know. Yeah. If, I'm, if any spare moment I have, I should be working on my book. I should be working on my company. I should be painting, you know, or doing something constructive. Well, now that but, we've recorded this, you can go back and listen at around the 40-minute mark and just listen to yourself tell yourself that and maybe... <laughs> get the yeah. spark well you got you got I a show to remind myself I put notes on my door there's a note on my computer it's all this stuff and yet you know it's like it's right there it's just at your fingertips it's like okay I'm gonna see what's up see what's up on Instagram and you <laughs> think it's gonna you know you think you're gonna just check it for a minute and then it turns into an hour and that's what I, I don't know that's what I've been doing and like it's fun I'm trying to see it as an experiment and hopefully at some point I'll probably lessen it but yeah, I don't know <laughs> Well, um, you know, and then, like the whole sharing aspect too. It's like I just start having fun. It's like I break my leg, you know, doing what I do for a living. So everyone's like, "Oh, you broke your leg," and you know, so I'm like, "Oh, I'm just gonna start sharing like what I do every day on the couch." It's like you know, it's like it's just fun. It's like an outlet of creativity. But I mean, yeah, I see it as a waste of time. It's because it's not anything. Like I said, it lasts for two days and then it's out of people's heads. So it's not something tangible it's not like a the work that you do for an exhibition or the work you do for a skateboard graphic or anything you know it's just kind of it's just rubbish really it's foam yeah it's kind of and there's a there's a fun level to it to where there is no there's almost a lack of responsibility where sometimes with exhibitions or maybe like the the business work that you're doing like there's a level of like it has to be a certain thing Whereas you could put these things out and get some of the same responses from people, but there's almost a lack of uh, responsibility. Does that maybe I'm not using the right word, but like no, actually, it, well, it is. It's ethereal. It's just it doesn't. There's not a lot of risk to it either. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, it's just the truth is, even in talking to you, it's like I'm realizing this out, saying this out loud. But yeah, it's like I have a mental problem. <laughs> I think that, we all and do, I, and that I and that I'm addicted to those to those likes. To that, it's like I need to know that people like me. Yeah, it's, you know, to the point where I'll debate people on there, which is fun. I mean, I like debating people about you know art and photo issues and stuff like that. But um, you know, at the same time, it's like I have a lot of stuff to do. Why am I spending any time on this? On this, you know debating like random people that I don't know on there about yeah it's like you know I definitely have other things to do how did you um how did you bust your leg you, you broke it pretty good right yeah I was in America America demo up in LA and uh it, it's one of those things that, I mean I guess it could happen anytime yeah I know the, I know the factors that made it happen though is that it's a mixture of being 40 and not skating a lot. This earlier this year, I, I skated a lot. I went on an America tour and a toy machine tour and was skating up until those tours. I was skating a lot because I knew I was going on them. But then as soon as those tours ended, <clears throat> I had to go into production mode for a bunch of shows I have 
this year. But basically that's what happened. I, I started, get, I hit the studio after those tours and and so when demos came up, I was like three weeks of no skating at all and then show up at a demo and try to rip and that's probably the main cause of what why I broke my leg because I was just wasn't doing anything outrageous. I just was doing a nose grind up on this uh, flat bar on a pyramid and just jumped out weird and put my leg down and as soon as it leg hit it just I heard the break so it must have been some weird storm of just weight and I don't know <laughs> I don't know it's really bad but um that's what did it yeah <laughs> it's kind of it's it did I, I'm sure for a lot of people getting into the skateboard profession, I don't know if how much of the thought goes into it that there's really like a time period where your body can take that sort of punishment. You know, there isn't a lot of professions. I, I mean, I guess there is some, but you know, like thinking about it, there isn't a lot of professions that that are like that. You know, like maybe like professional sports that is is one of the the few or like construction or something like that where you really put that wear and tear on your body for a long time it's there's only a certain period of time where where you're capable yeah, yeah? fighters in particular you know a lot of fighters have only a, a short period of like a window you know yeah totally yeah i mean i just chalk it up to practice i you know had i been had i been skating more this wouldn't have happened. Yeah, sure. The idea of sure. trying to show up at 40 after not skating for three weeks and start, you know, demonstrating skills. Like, I mean, up until this point, I've done that a lot. I'd go a month at a time without skating and then show up and all my demo moves would just come right back. I could do everything. But this time, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think there's a limit. So, but this break is like really putting me in a weird spot because I don't, I'm not sure if, you know, I mean, at 40, I don't know if I have any career to come back to, but I don't, I don't know if I'm, you know, going to really be able to skate at all anymore, or if, or at least if I am the same, not in the same way at all. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of a weird thing to think about. That was the only real bummer was that this might signify the end for me. But, um, you know, I'm not, uh, at the same time, I have no regrets. I can look yeah, back sure. and be totally stoked on everything I did and I have other things to do so I'm not like tripping that my job was being taken away from me or something like sure, that because you're also immersed in in the in a lot of different things as well right with I mean yeah, definitely, yeah. even within skateboarding yeah I mean I, yeah I work the companies that I sponsor everything's going cast every um, the companies I yeah like I ride for I think sponsor me for more than just uh getting photos in magazines, which I don't do. <laughs> not a skateboarder anymore, so yeah, I do like, you know, design stuff and art, you know, yeah, art stuff and whatever. So like, let's let's talk about your show that's coming up this week. Um, it's called Memory Foam, and you're showing at uh, Roberts and Tilton? Yes. Culver City? Yeah, it's in, uh, yeah, Culver City is a, kind of like a little gallery area there. Um bunch of the LA galleries have just kind of moved out to Culver City. And now that they used to be over by kind of by on by the La Brea tar pits, right? Like just up the street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were on uh, on La Brea. Oh wait, yeah, yeah. no Wilshire. I think they I just posted right uh, a catalog from one of your old shows from over there. Yeah, I saw you put that on on Twitter. I think mm. the prevailing nothing. Yeah, 
Yeah, so I've been working with this gallery for, I think, since 2004. And, uh, and it's funny because it was, uh, they have two, they have a big room and a project room. And this show was originally going to be in the project room. There was a painter, Noah Davis, who was having the solo show, and I was. They said, "Hey, if you have something for the small room, that'd be cool." And so I was like, "Oh, you know, I've been shooting tons and tons of photos from where I live here in Huntington Beach almost every day, just to get out of that. I mean, I work from home, so I'm either if it's toy machine or or painting or whatever I'm doing, I'm pretty much in my house all day, sitting down. Yeah. And so one of my daily sort of things is to go out, take a walk." at the beach or on the pier here in Huntington Beach. And uh, doing that is basically a photographic journey. I'll walk around and it's like, get some exercise, get some fresh air, but also shoot everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, for the last like, I don't know how many years, like I've been living here for a long time. So I have like a huge body of work that's just from here. So, you know, for the small room, I thought I'd uh, select some of the photos from Huntington Beach. It was going to be called HB at first. But then at the last minute, they called me up and said, hey, this Noah Davis uh, doesn't have his stuff ready. He doesn't have his act together. He can't do the he can't do the main room. Can you move your, the, your show to the big room? Which kind of freaked me out. But Because yeah, um, sure. I basically conceived of this for a small space and the work is real small. It's like, you know, just kind of a nice little photo show. And so it put me in a weird position because... You know, had I been given a solo room, I probably would have done something completely different. I would have had a painting show or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is one of those things that nobody really knows about, except for the people who listen to this podcast. And, you know, everyone else will just kind of walk in and say, oh, it's an Ed show. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is maybe if I knew it was going to be the big space, I would have made bigger photos because, I mean... This is a, the photos are small. So in a lot of ways, this is a traditional photo show. It's like the photos are, I didn't write on them. I didn't spray paint on them. They're just uh, framed in a, in a, you know, white matte, black frame, sort of real traditional. So it'll be a departure for me because usually my shows are kind of chaotic. I'll do this big cluster or or have a lot of stuff in there. And, um. but I like the idea. I like the I like the fact that this these circumstances have pushed me into doing a different show. So, um, kind of rolling with the flow, right? Like uh, adapting. Also, to it'll be happens. about the images. You know, usually I like to have this. Usually, I like the the installation of the of the images to be a certain way. So when you walk in, there's sort of a presentation. Yeah. Which will it'll still be like that, but unlike a, I don't know. I don't know if you see my past shows like that, but you know, it's like, this was, this will be more just about the images. And that's what I'm kind of happy about because it is about the, you know, it's about the photo. It's not about the, yeah, the I, I would say, I would say there's a, there's a visual impact to your shows where you don't necessarily have to see each singular image to sort of get a view of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. the bigger shows, you feel like, like it may be more intimate in terms of like people, like drawing people into to the imagery a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. I I mean, this is just more of a straight lace show. Usually, I I try to have more of an installation kind of aspect to the shows, and this and I think this will have it to a, to a more subtle extent. I guess more subtle is what I'm trying to say. And yeah, it's more about it's more about looking at each image and the and the image is what's what's important, and not so much the 
the installation. There's there's a a quality of to the work of when you're shooting what what seems to be uh, like almost like uh, like spur of the moment shots with people like especially the stuff in public. Is there a moment? I, I want to try to figure out how those like, and I, I don't want to take away from the art, but there's a part of me that wants to know how those moments take place. You know, like uh, I think the the image for your for your flyer, or at least the the promo for it, has like a shot where it looks like you know, like a couple people turned around just as you were getting ready to take the shot. Like I'm I'm always curious when I look at stuff like that, like what the following moment was like, if the if it was awkward, if there was like a confrontation. Um, if you're okay, would you talk about some of that? If it, if you think that it doesn't take away from from well, the yeah, no, there's no secrets. Uh, I don't have any like secret methods <laughs> that are because I you know um, yeah basically basically my my practice is super straight laced. Uh, like the for, to start with the the equipment I'm using is just like the same stuff that photojournalists have been using for years. You know, it's a Leica camera with a 50 millimeter lens. I shoot all film, um, no filters, no nothing. So there's like, um, so there's that aspect. And the 50 millimeter lens means you have to be close. It's not a zoom lens in any way. So, you know, I have to like be next to people to shoot the photos I like. Yeah. You know, I want to be close. So I'm, I am getting like up close and personal, but over the years I've developed a sort of style where I'm ready at all times kind of thing. So yeah. I'm walking along and I'm looking ahead of me 10 paces as I walk. So I'm kind of looking at the light. And like I, a chess player? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in a way, that's the whole thing. Yeah, I'm looking ahead because I like want to be ready for something when it comes as yeah. I'm walking. And a lot of this stuff, walking is the key here. It's like everything is kind of like a lot of the images are done at full speed. I'm like walking at full pace. I see, I see something. Maybe I'll see a couple kissing, for instance, down the way, and I'll like so I'll start. I'll I'll be walking. I look at the light. I set my camera for the light. I guesstimate the distance. You know. Yeah. Gotten good over the years at figuring out what distance things are going to be, you know. And then a lot of times I just walk by full speed and just shoot as I'm walking. I just like frame, frame, shoot, put the camera to my face and shoot. Ninety-nine percent of the time, nobody sees me. Ah, oh, that's so good. You know what I mean? So I'm walking full speed. You know, if I had stopped, then they would be like, "Why that guy stop?" But I'm like walking full speed, so there's no reason for anyone to, like, you know, I'm with a flow of people walking along, you know, down the sidewalk. So it's like, there's nothing strange. It's just all it is one side glance with my camera in my hand and, and I get it. That, that's, that's one aspect. That's like a lot of those are, a lot of them are that, but then, you know, there's a bunch where I stop. If it's like something really cool, it, it's hard to explain. It's like, so there's like kind of like how, how willing am I to engage? Yeah. Over, over a certain image, you know. So a lot of most of the time, you see some, and it's like I'm not. It's not worth. I'm just gonna walk by and shoot, and that's what I get, you know. Mm-hmm. But if something really cool is happening, like oh man, that's insane! Like these people are amazing looking, or whatever. In that case, I might stop and shoot. And they, and you know, a lot of most of the time, again, 99 percent of the time, people who look up, I smile at them. They realize why I'm shooting them for the most part. It's like they're doing something like kissing or wearing a funny hat or, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Like, they kind of understand, like, oh, 
that's why the other aspect is like maybe you're in my generation might come from a I don't know there was like a danger in people and what they look like you know like when I was a kid you didn't talk to a punker because they'd probably kick your ass it was, <laughs> yeah. like, it was real like the, the image was real of course nowadays the mohawk is completely benign it doesn't mean anything like every kid has a mohawk and it doesn't so you know like it's hard for me because I'm from the generation where it's like people have privacy and people might get mad and all this stuff but like we were talking about with Twitter and Instagram and all this stuff the kids nowadays the young kids they look badass but they're all softies yeah 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 <laughs> You know, so, like, I've, there's been a couple times where I'm, like, I had to just, like, get over the hump and go up and, like, shoot a photo of this, these, these, you know, there's a photo in the show of two punk kids, and the girls got, like, my big mohawk, the kids got, you know, like, racist tats and stuff, so I'm, like, fuck, this guy's scary. <laughs> I went, but they were kissing, and I'm, like, fuck, a mohawk and a, you know, racist skinhead kissing, I gotta go, so I just went up and started shooting him, seeing, you know, I just went for it, like, fuck, if he kicks my ass, we'll see. Yeah. And of course, they're all psyched. You know, they just That's are like, well, you should go, oh, cool. And they started posing. I was like, oh, kiss some more. Yeah, do this. Like, fuck. It, it got, and I just did it. I left this situation thinking, like, How, what is going on? Like, you know, but everyone wants to be famous. So any interest that you show in a kid, I don't know. It's just that, that's something. That's a generational change. Like, the, the alienated kids from when I was, you know, in 85, those kids were really misanthropic kids, you know? It was, yeah. like, true, like, I don't know, you would get your ass kicked. But now it's, like, they look like that, but it doesn't mean anything. Like, you can get all that stuff at the mall now, yeah. you know? Yeah. All, the, all the punk gear is readily available everywhere, and those kids are just, they're not punk. It just, they look, they're punk in appearance only, and so the signals are there. But, it's, you know, it's, so it's really weird, and everyone wants to be famous. Everyone loves the attention. And so now I'm like, because of that learning experience, I like go up to kids even even more than adults and just shoot without even, I don't even care. I just like walk up and shoot them right in the face with the camera. It's like, <laughs> you know, and most of them are just like flattered to be noticed or something. You know, they're, they're, they're crying for attention. They want the attention. Yeah, they so, want those likes on their, on their Instagram too, just like everybody else, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, so that's one, so that's one way that it happens and, and really, there's very few instances where I, someone gets bummed. Yeah, I think you know, I still like think a that a little banter, a little smile, a little, all that stuff goes a long way. And and you know, it's like I think the whole you you learn certain things like how how to do follow through. Like a lot of times, I'll shoot someone, they see me, but I'll keep. Uh, I won't move the camera away from my face. I'll keep shooting as if I was shooting something behind them and they were in my way. You know? Yeah, yeah. And so a lot of times, it, even if they are kind of like, I can see them like, wait, is that guy shooting me? But they're not sure. They're not willing to have a confrontation either, you know? Yeah. They're not willing to come up and say, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> if they're not sure, you know? So a couple movements on my end can make, it, can, can make it so vague that they're not exactly sure, so it's not worth coming up to me. If I had moved my camera away real quick or made eye contact with them, it might look like, hey, that guy just shot me and he's like trying to hide it. You know? Yeah, trying to be like, shifty. That guy's up to something. Yeah, so you have to like not look shifty. That's part of it too. It's like, you know, there's a follow-through aspect, like shoot and then follow through. Like Sometimes I'll hold the camera to my face and just keep walking like, oh, he might have shot me. I thought I heard him click it, but 
but he's still, you know, as I walk away, they're looking at me and I'm still shooting other stuff. So they just think, oh, he's just a guy shooting all sorts of weird stuff. Yeah, just like you might see an Asian uh, tourist, like, filming everything as they walk down the pier, you know? It's like, right. kind of like that. So There's I can't a- even think of a time when there was an actual confrontation. Like, years and years ago in, in London, I got like a mini scuffle with someone over a photo, but... Yeah, it's kind of surprising, you know, like it's I think it's probably that idea that people are less likely to engage in a confrontation if it's if it's unnecessary. Yeah, I mean, I get, and maybe that's part of it, too. It's like a, I don't try to intimidate people, but I'm, you know, like six foot one and have a beard and whatever. I'm like, you know, maybe that's a part of it, too. But um, I think with. But, with the imagery, what's cool is the there's a there seems to be a difference in people when they don't know that they're being photographed, and then the the stress of knowing that you're being watched and put on film, like that that weird tension that gets created from that. You know, I for think, sure, that's what I prefer. I prefer the the ones where I don't get noticed because that's real life. I mean, I'm just like walking by and shooting something and that's really happening and there's no aspect of posing or knowing you're being, knowing you're being shot or anything like that. Mm-hmm. That's what I, that's what I shoot for all the time. That, that's the goal, you know, but every once in a while too, I'll just like stop somebody and ask them for a portrait or, or sometimes there's something happening and it's just a scene and I'm then So everyone kind of knows, Oh, there's a guy shooting pose, but no one really, really cares yeah by this point like i I, i'll be in restaurants and somebody will be looking at their phone and i'll get like a weird sense that they're secretly taking photos just because their camera or their phone is pointed in that direction you know like it's such a a natural sight now yeah so that that all all that stuff works in photographers favors because it's so much nowadays i mean certain places are harder it's it's been interesting like huntington beach is sort of one of these places where you know, it's it's a beach culture. There's like the whole aspect of the beach, and there's a lot of tourists and stuff. So the camera's not that weird. It's not that weird to see people on the pier shooting photos and mm-hmm. stuff. And most people are shooting sunsets and their own family and stuff like that. So that helps me because I'm there and I might be shooting them and their life, and but it doesn't really look weird. But then, you know, in New York, obviously, or London, like, there's so many people with cameras everywhere. So it's really easy to shoot in those towns. But, you know, we went to Scotland last year, to Glasgow, and that that was super intimidating because there was nobody with cameras anywhere. And so I felt like I stuck out like a sort of thumb, and it's like a much rougher kind of, like, stock of people. And, like, the idea of, like, getting my ass kicked seemed super plausible there. And, like, <laughs> yeah. and it was, like, real. It was real. I put a damper on, like... You know, I'd see lots of great characters, but the idea of going up and shooting them was, like, way harder than it is here. Maybe yeah, I just because this is home turf, I kind of know the, I know everything here. So, you know, yeah, it's interesting. But, I mean, that's part of the fun, I think. I think I like when uh, people come away with that thought of um, how was that done, you know? That's not, yeah, I don't think that demystifies it. I think that makes it even cooler. It's like, I mean, hopefully the work stands as a work in itself and the photo's beautiful or cool, but, you know, it's like, I always think, that's, I think the same thing when I see great photos. I was like, wow, how did you get that? Yeah, it's like there's a tension. that It's like, okay, what what provided this moment or what preceded this moment, you know? like. And the eye contact's really good, too, because a lot of times I will stop 
kind of pause my walk and then and then shoot and then and I, I, I look for that first eye contact and shoot right then. And, you know, a big smile goes a long way. I just smile and, well, gives a th- sometimes it thumbs up people or wave or, I don't know, you know, <laughs> it's like, no one, no one seems to, like, be that worried about it. Yeah, that's right. You know, and I will pick and choose my battles, obviously, like, sure. you know, certain, certain dudes or people or things I might shy away from. And it's like, you know, I might want to shoot a certain couple, but... At yeah. the same time, I don't want to be seen like I'm like working on someone's girlfriend or something, and then yeah. that might that might create something a little okay. weird. So, yeah. So I mean, I feel like as many photos as I get, there's probably actually it's yeah, probably for every one photo I get, there's probably two or three that I I miss. So there's a lot of desire to get stuff that I don't end up getting. <laughs> hey, you've been um, posting some Instagram stuff where you're shooting through binoculars, right? Yeah, that's been sort of like a a byproduct of being having this. Uh, I, I'm, I have one more week of no pressure on this on this leg. Yeah. So I'm on total crutches and our daily pier walks are are heavily cramped. So, um, but now that I can get out a little bit, yeah, we were like sitting in the car and and looking at the beach just from the car instead of like because. I mean, we still do, I've done some, like, wheelchair pier walks and some crutch, a little bit of crutching around, but the crutches get exhausting real quick. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, we've done a few, like, days where we just, just to get out of the house, I'll go, we'll just sit in the car in the parking lot and, uh, at the beach there, it's right on the beach, so you can, like, watch people cruising around on the bike path and look at the cool sunsets and stuff. And, uh, yeah, and then I had these binoculars because we had seen whales the week before. And so we brought the binoculars down to like see if we could spot any more whales. And then yeah, it just came up like, oh, I wonder if I could shoot through the binoculars. Oh, it works. And then I started like yeah, yeah, I... instantly started like working on people from with the binoculars. But as, it's it's funny because it's like as a photographer, obviously using a long lens has always been an option. Sure, I've, sure. I've always hated that. And so this has been a fun experiment, but this is nothing I would really do with my with my regular photography. Yeah, it, it doesn't translate. I just hate it. I, whenever I see, I'll see guys all the time, like sitting, sitting uh, at a table, at you know, at a Jamba Juice, or sitting out front with a long lens, just sniping people all over the place, you know. Yeah. And there's always like the dudes on the pier shooting bikini girls and stuff, and I'm always like, this is so weak. Like I hate the idea of like sniping from a distance. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I think for my like for my regular art show, for my regular photography, I would never really. Use a long lens. Yeah. I mean, well, it's, uh, I, think, I think it's it's too easy. I actually I think sure. it's too easy. It's like super easy to sit there. It's like just from the. I mean, some of the most of the shots from the binoculars are we're sitting in my car. I mean, so I'm just like in a car shooting people like you know 200 feet away. It's like it's like shooting fish in a barrel. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you know in, it, in context to the rest of the things that you make, like talking about that idea of of catching people in their moment of being exactly who they are. There's some there's there's a correlation there a little bit. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot, that's what I'm saying. The long lens makes it even easier to do that. But I I kind of think that's like a little a little chumpy. Like I'd rather I like the idea of doing it, you know, being there and yeah. on the in the field, like kind of like walking up and being part of stuff and and doing it that way rather than like sitting around doing it from a distance. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's almost like reporting on something or being involved in a story, you know. I just I don't know I don't know what it is. There's, 
there's no, there's no real rules or anything, but I just, for me, I just, my preference is to use the 50 and kind of be, be closer and have that, that be part of it, you know? Right. And walking is a big part of it, too. Like I said, like, I mean, that's part of, like, it's, it's like a, it's an exercise as well as, like, part of how, I, the practice of how I get the photos is the walking and, like, covering distance and seeing it. That's a big part of my travel, you know? When we go to places, we avoid cabs and subways. We walk super long distances, and that's how you end up getting all the photos. Yeah. Is by, is by really cutting a big line through a city is how you get the... <laughs> on foot is how you really see a lot of stuff and you end up in weird streets and interesting places that way that you might not see if you took a taxi or subway everywhere. Yeah, that's something kind of that gets missed out maybe on people for the experience of people viewing the imagery, like the amount of, of work that goes into, you know, stumbling across some spot, like you, the amount of spots that you have to see that are just boring and, you know, mundane to find yeah. that one interesting nook somewhere. Well, that, that, that whole, that, that just triggers a, a thought of like, well, the, the whole process of this show, for instance, I mean, like I said, I shoot film still, which is, um, you know, more expensive for one. The camera I'm using is manual, so every single photo had to be focused by hand and, and set, all the light settings were by hand. So there's that kind of like artfulness to it, aspect of it, like the art of like getting that photo getting myself into the position and having everything, all the circumstances be right to, to get a photo that works is one part of the work. Then there's the printing part. I mean, all these prints were made in my home darkroom here on, you know, traditional fiber-based paper. So it's like, there's a whole litany of like work that went into making this show that is lost on this generation because everything is just like digital and printable <laughs> on your inkjet printer in one second. And so it's like, and the thing is, is that that's like one thing unless I like talk about it no one most of the people who see the show will never even realize like what work went into making that happen you know yeah well man I want to um, I want to thank you for again for taking the time to to sit down and shoot the shit with me I, I appreciate it a lot no problem let's no problem um can we plug your stuff uh, your website you get some people get you a few more followers on Instagram if, uh... sure I'm on Instagram at uh, Tempster returns, Tempster underscore returns, and uh, I'm on my website. My photo blog is part of the Toy Machine website. It's uh, toymachine.com/slash/ed, and I just have a photo blog in there that I put up. Nice random stuff here and there, and uh, I guess that's it. Toy by Toy Machine skateboards. <laughs> nice. All right, again, thank you very much, man. I appreciate it. No problem. All right, brother. Uh, yeah, we're good. I think we're uh, we got we got about an hour hour ten. I think. Oh yeah, I'm long winded. I'll go. No, that's good. I'll, I'll keep going. It's crazy. They go by fucking super fast. It, it seems like it's only been like ten minutes. But um, yeah, I'll post this up uh, up tonight or maybe tomorrow, and uh, hopefully get a few extra people your way for the show. Okay, yeah. Send me send me an email when it goes up. I'll. I didn't even get a chance to, uh, this happened so quick, I didn't even get a chance to, like, listen to any of your past ones, but I, I intend to, uh, subscribe and start getting them. Yeah, awesome. Uh, I think a lot, a lot of people like to listen to them when they work, you know? It's like artists hanging out with artists while you don't actually have to engage with them. It's kind of nice sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. Cool. All, All right, right, thanks, Ed, thanks man. I appreciate it. Appreciate it as well. Thanks. All right, brother. Bye.
It's the money. It's the money.